you are receiving this transmission, you are reclaiming the faith with Phil Baker on the Fourth Watch Radio Network. Welcome to episode 46 of Reclaiming the Faith a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. I'm your host, Phil Baker. Now let's dig into history. Hey y'all, thank you so much for taking time to listen to Reclaiming the Faith. Thank you for your prayers for me and my family. And for my podcasting partners, BDK and Justin Fall of the Fourth Watch Radio Network. I'm in a bit of a transition time right now looking for where God wants me. I don't know where God wants me working vocationally right now. And so I really appreciate your prayers for me and my family in this time as uh, we look for this new open door that God will have for us. In episode 46, We're going to be looking at how Matthew 24 corresponds to the book of 1 Maccabees. Now, I know Matthew 24 is a a book that most Christians who study the end times are very familiar with because it is in Matthew 24 that Jesus opens up the disciples' eyes to what things will be like in the end times. First and Second Maccabees, however, are not books many Protestant Christians are familiar with because they are not contained in our Bibles. However, First and Second Maccabees were very familiar to the early Christians, and I would propose to you they were very familiar to Jesus as well. And so today we're going to look how at how Jesus actually uses themes from the first chapter and a little bit from the second chapter of 1 Maccabees to help his listeners understand what the end times will be like. Well, if you're blessed by today's episode, I really want to encourage you to leave a positive review on my iTunes channel, Reclaiming the Faith. Doing so will greatly help me out as well as uh, reviewing my new album, which is also on iTunes in different places, this new album called The Shadows EP. If you've listened to it and you like those songs, please do me a favor and head over to iTunes and leave a positive review and rating. And also, if you've read my book, New Wineskins and the Simple Words of Christ, please head over to Amazon and also leave a rating and review there. That will help others so much and me as well. If you want to contact me, you can go to my website, philsbaker.com, and you can find my uh, email contact there, which is email philsbaker at gmail.com. I'm blessed to be a part of Justin Fall's Fourth Watch Radio Network, along with BDK of Omega Frequency, who I do a monthly Q&A show with called Ready With An Answer. And if you have any questions about this episode or any episodes that we talk about or maybe an ethical question, send me or BDK an email and we will be happy to answer your question on Ready With An Answer, which we do once a month. And finally, the early Christian quotes that I use can generally be found on the CD-ROM version of the Anti-Nicene Fathers, which you can purchase for $5 on the Scroll Publishing website. All right, well, let's get episode 46 rolling.
The other day, I saw a picture of a sign in the window of a bookstore which read, Please note, the post-apocalyptical fiction section has been moved to current affairs. (laughs) You know, it's unfortunate. Evil is so prevalent in our world today that it is becoming easier and easier to convince people to the truth of the scripture that we are living in the last days. But the more important point of discussion than if we are living in the last days is the subject of what the last days will look like for us believers. That is a topic that the early Christians wrote extensively about, and thus, we should probably spend regular time talking about from the pulpit and in our small groups and around our dinner tables. Let me begin with a quote from a man named Hippolytus. Now, Hippolytus was basically like a great-grandchild spiritually of the Apostle John. You see, John discipled a man named Polycarp, who was the bishop of Smyrna. And Polycarp discipled a man named Irenaeus, who became the bishop of Lyon in France. And Irenaeus discipled a man named Hippolytus, who became an a very influential church leader in Rome. Hippolytus wrote extensively about eschatology, about the end times. And at several points, he makes a connection between 1 Maccabees and Matthew 24. And just to give you a little background, you can think about 1 and 2 Maccabees as as true history books, which deal with the history of the Jews between the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, and the first book of the New Testament, Matthew. In particular, 1st and 2nd Maccabees highlight the reign of the Seleucid ruler Antiochus Epiphanes, who committed what the Jews of his day called the abomination that causes desolation, because he took over Jerusalem, he invaded the temple, He outlawed worship of the Lord God, set up a statue of Zeus in the temple, sacrificed a pig to Zeus on the altar there, and unleashed a persecution upon the Jews like you wouldn't believe. This is an excerpt of what Hippolytus wrote. After these events, Antiochus commenced hostilities again against the children of Israel and dispatched one Nicanor, with a large army to subdue the Jews. At the time when Judas, after the death of Matthias, ruled the people, and so forth, as it is written in the Maccabees. Now, these events having taken place, the scripture says again, and there shall stand up another king, and he shall prevail upon the earth. Daniel has spoken, therefore, of two abominations, the one of destruction and the other of desolation. What is that that time of destruction but that which Antiochus established there at the time? And what is that of desolation but that which shall be universal when the Antichrist comes? And he shall be proclaimed king by them, and shall be magnified by all, and shall prove himself an abomination of desolation to the world, and shall reign for a thousand two hundred and ninety days. The abomination of desolation shall be given or set up 
Daniel speaks, therefore, of two abominations, the one of destruction, which the Antichrist set up in its appointed time and which bears a relation to that of desolation, and the other universal when Antichrist shall come. So what I want to do now is lead you through several verses in Matthew 24 and then show how they correspond or correlate to different verses in 1 Maccabees. And so what we're going to do is start by reading the first few verses of Matthew 24. Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. Now, I'm going to stop right there at verse 4 in Matthew 24, because I want to demonstrate to you now in the opening verses of 1 Maccabees, in chapter 1, starting in verse 11, we begin to see that before Antiochus set himself up as God in Jerusalem, there was a great deception that began in the midst of the Jews themselves. 1 Maccabees Chapter 1, verse 11 says this, In those days, certain renegades came out from Israel and misled many, saying, Let us go and make a covenant with the Gentiles around us, for since we separated from them, many disasters have come upon us. This proposal pleased the Jews, and some of the people eagerly went to the king, who had authorized them to observe the ordinances of the Gentiles. So, they built a gymnasium in Jerusalem, according to the Gentile custom, and removed the marks of circumcision and abandoned the Holy Covenant. They joined with the Gentiles and sold themselves to do evil. And now jumping to verse 29. Two years later, the king sent to cities of Judah, a chief collector of tribute, and he came to Jerusalem with a large force. Deceitfully, he spoke peaceable words to them, and they believed him. But suddenly, he fell upon the city, dealt it a severe blow, and destroyed many people of Israel. He plundered the city, burned it with fire, and tore down its houses and its surrounding walls. And they took captive the women and children and seized the livestock. So it's interesting. The first step that Antiochus takes before he even enters Jerusalem is to basically bribe the people away with the things of this world. Hellenism was the dominant culture of the world at that time. And Basically, you could think about Hellenism like humanism. Humans are the center of truth. Humans are the center of beauty. All of that stuff. Humans are the apex of all. 
And so in places like the gymnasium, because to a Greek, humans are the center of beauty, these not just exercises, but the schooling that took place, all of that was done in the nude, which would be horrendous and abhorrent to the Jews of that day. And yet it was so enticing that many of them, in order to have these benefits of the Jews, became complete sellouts, even reversing their circumcision. Yes, you heard that right, reversing their circumcision. There were places in Israel at that time where you could have that procedure done. Think about that also as part of a great falling away, which we will deal with later. So after he had won many of their hearts with bribery, basically, then they came in the Roman, or sorry, the the Greeks, the Seleucids came in uh, pretending to be peaceful and tore the city apart. Watch out, take heed that no one deceives you that no one leads you astray. astray. Well, getting back into Matthew 24, Jesus continues to warn his disciple. In 24 verses 6 through 8, he says to them, You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes, but all these are merely the beginning of birth pangs. So let's think about these wars and rumors of wars, nation rising against nation and kingdom against kingdom. We'll actually go to the very first verses of First Maccabees. This is how it begins. Alexander of Macedon, son of Philip, this is Alexander the Great, son of Philip, that first uh, great king in Greece, had come up from the land of Katim and defeated Darius, king of the Persians and Medes, whom he succeeded as ruler at first of Hellas. He undertook many campaigns, gained possession of many fortresses, and put local kings to death. So he advanced to the ends of the earth, plundering nation after nation. The earth grew silent before him, and his ambitious heart swelled with pride. He assembled very powerful forces and subdued provinces, nations, and princes, and they became his tributaries. Moving on, Jesus continues in Matthew 24, verses 9 through 10, and he says, Then... They shall deliver you up to affliction and kill you. Speaking to his disciples, they're going to deliver you up to affliction and kill you. And you shall be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many shall stumble and they shall deliver up one another and shall hate one another. So you can see this as this persecution increases so does this great falling away that Jesus said is going to happen at the end. First Maccabees illustrates the same basic principles happening 
with the Jews in what must have felt like the end of the world. Verse 44 of chapter 1 of 1 Maccabees. The king also sent edicts by messenger to Jerusalem and the towns of Judah, directing them to adopt customs foreign to the country, banning burnt offerings, sacrifices, and libations from the sanctuary, profaning Sabbaths and feasts, defiling the sanctuary and everything holy, building altars, shrines, temples for idols, sacrificing pigs and unclean beasts, leaving their sons uncircumcised and prostituting themselves to all kinds of impurity and abomination so that they should forget the law and revoke all observance of it. Anyone not obeying the king's command was to be put to death. Writing in such terms to every part of his kingdom, the king appointed inspectors for the whole people and directed all the towns of Judah to offer sacrifice city by city. And many of the people, that is, every apostate from the law, rallied to them and so committed evil in the country, forcing Israel into hiding in any possible place of refuge. So you can see how much of the Jews, how many of the Jews became apostates when that persecution was turned up. They were delivered to death and hated and killed and brother was betraying brother to death. Now let's look at this term abomination of desolation. I'm going to start with what Jesus says in Matthew 24, and then we're going to look at this abomination fleshed out a little bit in greater detail in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. But let's start with Matthew 24. When you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through, the, through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Right, we're going to pause there. Because Matthew seems to be saying that people should understand what the abomination of desolation is based on what Daniel wrote in his book. So let's look at those passages real quick from Daniel. This is Daniel chapter 11, verse 31. It says, Forces from him shall arise, desecrate the sanctuary fortress, and do away with the regular sacrifice, and they will set up the abomination of desolation. Now in chapter 12, Daniel writes this in verse 10 through 11. Many will be purged, purified, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. From that time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Now, let's take a little bit and think about what Maccabees says concerning the abomination of desolation. Starting in verse 20, the book says in chapter 1, After subduing Egypt, Antiochus returned in the 143rd year. He went up against Israel and came to Jerusalem with a strong force. He arrogantly entered into the sanctuary and took the golden altar, the lampstand for the light, and all its utensils. He took also the table for the bread of the presence, the cups for the drink offerings, 
the bowls, the golden censers, the curtain, the crowns, and the gold decoration on the front of the temple. He stripped it all off. He took the silver and gold and the costly vessels. He also took the hidden treasures that he found. And jumping to verse 54, 1 Maccabees says, Now on the 15th day of Chislev, in the 145th year, they erected a desolating sacrilege on the altar of burnt offering. They also built altars in the surrounding towns of Judah and offered incense at the doors of the houses in the streets. Now, I want to take a minute to look at what Paul has to say about these events. You can see these pretty clearly in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, as Paul writes about this abominable uh, action of the Antichrist and what will be going on with the Christians at that time. He says, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, notice how Paul links the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the churches being gathered to him. He requests that we not be quickly shaken from your composure or to be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come. Let no one in any way deceive you. Notice that same language he uses from Maccabees and that Jesus uses. Let no one deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. Remember, we talked about that falling away that's happening. The apostasy that's coming first, and then the man of lawlessness is revealed. The son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself over every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Now that's interesting because the name Antiochus Epiphanes means God made manifest. So Antiochus took this name for himself as he was proclaiming himself above the God Yahweh, in Yahweh's temple. Paul continues, Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now so that his time, so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way, and then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accordance with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. And for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence, a great deception, so that they will believe what is false in order that they may all be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Wow. Think about that as it relates to what was going on in the time of the Maccabees. But I want to take it one step further. I want to go to the book of Revelation in chapter 13 to show you 
some of this wrath of the Antichrist. Starting in the middle of verse 3 of chapter 13 of Revelation, John writes, And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast, the Antichrist. They worshiped the dragon, Satan, because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast and who is able to wage war with him? There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. It was also given him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the book of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with a sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here's the perseverance and the faith of the saints. And I saw another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the beast whose fatal wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, and the freemen and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. So it's interesting how Paul and John both have this framework that they're working with, not just the words of Jesus, but how the words of Jesus are hearkening back to the words of Daniel and the words of 1st and 2nd Maccabees. They all have this framework, and what they're saying, what both Jesus and Paul and John are saying is that just as there was a type of the abomination of desolation, there's going to be a greater type of the abomination of desolation that is coming at the end, right before Christ returns. So, let's jump back into some of Jesus' words from Matthew 24. Let's think about this great falling away. Remember, Jesus had said in verse 9 of chapter 24 of Matthew, Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another 
and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and mislead many. And because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. So let's think back to this issue of falling away as it regards uh, 1 Maccabees chapter 1 and looking at verse 51. It says, In such words he wrote to his whole kingdom, speaking of uh, Antiochus, and he appointed inspectors over all the people and commanded the towns of Judah to offer sacrifice town by town. Many of the people, everyone who forsook the law, joined them, and they did evil in the land, and they drove Israel into hiding. And that's a portion that we already read, but I wanted to highlight it for you there. Because it shows how as persecution increased, so did the falling away of the Jews. And thus, Paul and John says, so will the falling away of the Christians. Next, in Matthew 24, verse 19, Jesus says, Woe to those who are pregnant during that terrifying reign of the Antichrist. And 1 Maccabees chapter 1, verse 60 through 61 say this, Women who had had their children circumcised were put to death, according to the edict, with their babies hung around their necks and the, and the members of their household and those who had performed the circumcision were executed with them. Can you imagine that? If you're a mom, or even if you're a dad, and you see these women holding their babies, having the babies killed and put around the mother's necks when the mothers are executed and their fathers and brothers with them. Unimaginable. Then Jesus says, but pray in Matthew 24, verse 20, he says, But pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. Now, when Antiochus began to impose all these horrible things upon the Jews, 1 Maccabees demonstrates that a remnant fled because they were unwilling to cave in and be sellouts. And it says, Many people, this is in chapter 2 of 1 Maccabees, verses 29. Through 38, it says, Many people who were concerned for vir virtue and justice went down to the desert and stayed there, taking with them their sons, their wives, their cattle. So oppressive had their sufferings become. Word was brought to the royal officials and forces stationed in Jerusalem, in the city of David, that those who had repudiated the king's edict had gone down to the hiding places in the desert. A strong detachment went after them, and when it came up with them, wrangled itself against them in battle formation, preparing to attack them on the Sabbath day. And these men said, Enough of this! Come out and do as the king orders, and you will be spared. But these Jews that had fled, however, replied, We refuse to come out. And we will not obey the king's orders and thus profane the Sabbath day. 
So the royal forces at once went into action. But the others offered no opposition. The Jews did not fight back because it was Sabbath. Not a stone was thrown. There was no barricading of the hiding places. They only said, Let us all die innocent. Let heaven and the earth bear witness that you are massacring us with no pretense of justice. And the attack was pressed home on the Sabbath itself, and they were slaughtered with their wives and children and cattle to the number of 1,000 persons. Jesus also tells us in Matthew 24 in those days, uh, in Matthew 24, verse 16 through 18, we are to flee to the mountains. And so after this abomination of desolation is identified, Jesus said that the people in the land of Judea should flee. We Christians should flee. And so 1 Maccabees chapter 2, verse 27 through 30 says this, Then Mattathias went through the town, shouting at the top of his voice, Let everyone who has any zeal for the law and takes his stand on the covenant come out and follow me. Then he fled with his sons into the hills, leaving all their possessions behind in the town. Right? Like, don't be like Lot's wife looking back at your possessions. Just go. And so Christians, it's okay to flee, and you should flee when this time comes. It's okay. All right, I want to look at just two more passages from Matthew chapter 24. And the first is from verse 21 of Matthew 24. And there Jesus says this, For then, speaking of at the time of the abomination of desolation, then There will be a great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. This, what I'm about to read to you, is horrific tribulation, such that us in our quote-unquote safe world have never seen. And yet, what I'm about to read to you the tribulation that was unleashed upon the Jews in the days of the Maccabees, this, according to Jesus, will not hold a candle to what is coming upon the world and to the Christians. This is 1 Maccabees chapter 1, starting in verse 41. Then the king, speaking of Antiochus Epiphanes, the quote-unquote God-made-manifest, The king wrote to his whole kingdom that all should be one people and that all should give up their particular customs. He directed them to follow customs strange to the land, to forbid burnt offerings and sacrifices and drink offerings in the sanctuary, to profane Sabbaths and festivals, to defile the sanctuary and the priests, to build altars and sacred shrines for idols to sacrifice swine and other unclean animals, and to leave their sons uncircumcised. They were to make themselves abominable by every unclean and profane action so that they would forget the law and change all the ordinances. And he added, whoever does not obey the command of the king 
shall die. The books of the law that they found, they tore to pieces and burned with fire. Anyone found possessing the book of the covenant or anyone who adhered to the law was condemned to death by the decree of the king. And they kept using violence against Israel, against those who were found month after month in the towns. And on the 25th day of the month, they offered sacrifice on the altar that was on top of the altar of the burnt offering. Now, I want to read you a passage that is horrific. And I apologize if you have kids uh, listening, they, you may not want them to hear this because of the uh, violence it pertains in the literature in, in the writings here. So uh, I'll give you a minute, a second to, uh, to pause it. All right. So this is Second Maccabees chapter seven. And the, the subtitle that we've got here is The Martyrdom of the Seven Brothers. This is what it says. It happened also that seven brothers and their mother were arrested and were being compelled by the king under torture with whips and cords to partake of unlawful swine's flesh. One of them, acting as their spokesman, said, What do you intend to ask and learn from us? For we are ready to die rather than transgress the laws of our fathers. And the king fell into a rage, and he gave orders that pans and cauldrons be heated. These were heated immediately, and he commanded that the tongue of their spokesman be cut out, that they scalp him and cut off his hands and feet, while the rest of the brothers and the mothers and the mother looked on. While he was utterly helpless, the king ordered them to take him to the fire, still breathing, and to fry him in a pan." The smoke from the pan spread widely, but the brothers and their mother encouraged one another to die nobly, saying, The Lord God is watching over us and in truth has compassion on us, as Moses declared in his song, which bore witness against the people to their faces, and when he said, And he will have compassion on his servants. Now, After the first brother had died in this way, they brought forward the second for their sport. They tore off the skin of his head with the hair and asked him, Will you eat rather than have your body punished limb by limb? And he replied in the language of his fathers and said to them, No. Therefore, he in turn underwent tortures just as the first brother had done. And when he was at his last breath, he said, You accursed wretch, you dismiss us from this present life, but the king of the universe will raise us up to an everlasting renewal of life because we have died for his laws. After him, the third was the victim of their sport. When it was demanded, he quickly put out his tongue and courageously stretched forth his hands and said nobly, I got these from heaven, and because of his laws, I disdain them, and from him, I hope to get them back again. As a result, the king himself and those with him were astonished at the young man's spirit, for he he regarded his sufferings 
as nothing. When he too had died, they maltreated and tortured the fourth in the same way. And when he was near his death, he said, One cannot but choose to die at the hands of men and to cherish the hope that God gives of being raised again by him. But for you, there will be no resurrection to life. Next, they brought forward the fifth and maltreated him. But he looked at the king and said, Because you have authority among men, mortal though you are, you do what you please. But do not think that God has forsaken our people. Keep on and see how his mighty power will torture you and your descendants. After him, they brought forward the sixth. And when he was about to die, he said, Do not deceive yourselves in vain, for we are suffering these things on our own account because of our sins against God. Therefore, astounding things have happened. But do not think that you will go unpunished for having tried to fight against God. Now the mother was especially admirable and worthy of honorable memory. Though she saw her seven sons perish within a single day, she bore it with good courage because of her hope in the Lord. She encouraged each one of them in the language of their fathers. And filled with a noble, a noble spirit, she fired her woman's reasoning with a man's courage and said to them, I do not know how you came into being in my womb. It was not I who gave you life and breath, nor I who, who set in order the elements within each of you. Therefore, the creator of the world, who shaped the beginning of man and devised the origin of all things, will in his mercy give you life and breath back to you again, since you now forget yourselves for the sake of his laws. Antiochus felt that he was being treated with contempt, and he was suspicious of her reproachful tongue. And the youngest brother, being still alive, Antiochus not only appealed to him in words, but promised with oaths that he would make him rich and enviable if he would turn from the ways of his father's and that he would take him for his friend and entrust him with public affairs. Since the young man would not listen to him at all, the king called the mother to him and urged her to advise the youth to save himself. After much urging on his part, she undertook to persuade her son. But leaning close to him, she spoke in their native tongue as follows, deriding the cruel tyrant. My son, have pity on me. I carried you nine months in my womb and nursed you for three years and you and have reared you and brought you up to this point in your life and have taken care of you. I beseech you, my child, to look at the heaven and the earth and see everything that is in them and recognize that God did not make them out of the things that existed. Thus also mankind comes into being. Do not fear this butcher, but prove worthy of your brothers. Accept death, so that in God's mercy I may get you back again with your brothers. And while she was still speaking, the young man said, What are you waiting for? I will not obey the king's command, but I obey the command of the law that was given to our fathers through Moses. But you... 
who have contrived all sorts of evil against the Hebrews, will certainly not escape the hands of God. For we are suffering because of our own sins. And if the Lord, if the living Lord is angry for a little while to rebuke and discipline us, he will again be reconciled with his own servants. But you, unholy wretch, you most defiled of all men, do not be elated in vain and puffed up by uncertain hopes when you raise your hand against the children of heaven, for you have not yet escaped the judgment of the Almighty, all-seeing God. For our brothers, after enduring a brief suffering, have drunk of ever-flowing life under God's covenant. But you, by the judgment of God, will receive just punishment for your arrogance. I, like my brothers, give up my body and life for the laws of our fathers, appealing to God to show mercy soon to our nation and by afflictions and plagues to make you confess that he alone is God, and through me and my brothers to bring to an end the wrath of the Almighty which has just fallen on our whole nation. And the king fell into a rage, and he handed him he handled him worse than the others, being exasperated at his scorn. So that youngest brother died in his integrity, putting his whole trust in the Lord. And last of all, the mother died after her sons. In this huge section, and I thank you for enduring with me through that, that long reading, but that last section truly illustrates the truth of Matthew 24, 13, when Jesus says, those who remain to the end will be saved. May you endure to the end, not fearing the wrath of the Antichrist. And may you begin to get yourself ready for that time, if you should face it, by resisting the devil now humbling yourself under God's mighty hand. May you not be afraid of any kind of persecution, whether it comes from outside the church or within the church walls itself. May you receive Jesus' words that blessed are you when people persecute you, when people say all kinds of false things against you. Look at persecution as a blessing, just like the people of the time of the Maccabees did, just like Jesus did, just like his disciples Paul and John did. May you be a faithful witness for the King of Kings who overcomes the devil by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. God bless you. crop comes, what you gonna do? You can build bigger barns like your heart tells you to. You'll amaze the neighbors, make them go ooh and ah. You're in the big time now. Building bigger barns, yeah. But there's gonna come a day 
It's gonna disappear